Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. And I'm always intrigued by when there's science to back up what I just intuitively believe. So thank you for um, affirming, you know, a lot of the things that I think a lot of women and men believe. But more and more we are finding that science and medicine with all its silos, we need both Eastern and Western medicine to keep us whole. Yeah, we do. And uh, it's so interesting now, the big shift has been over the last 10, 20 years, is that we now have the technology to understand what's happening in the body Mm -hmm. at a very deep level when we do both Eastern and Western medicine interventions. And so just for example, I was in uh, Paris uh, two days ago doing a a big presentation to about 3,000 people in a big theater there, and uh, I used a little device on a, on a volunteer called a galvanometer, and this woman came up on stage, and I was actually finding her acupuncture points, and so now we can find acupuncture points, we can see energy flows in the body with devices like MRIs, we can see mm-hmm. when we're stressed, how our brains change, how the flow of energy in our bodies is shifting. And you, you mentioned long-term effects on health earlier, Linda, mm-hmm. and um, they, they definitely are there. But in the book, in Mind to Matter, I talk a lot about the very short-term effects on health because when I, for example, at a live workshop, hook someone up to an EEG and we take a readout of their well-being, if they think one stressful thought one substantially stressful thought that triggers an emotion immediately, like in yes, medicine, we see those readouts change. So it's, it's affecting us both short-term and then the cumulative effect of all those short-term effects is the long-term effects on our health. And I think that we live in such a fast society and we think if we just keep moving so fast, we're going to be fine because this will pass and then the next thing will be calmer and cooler. Well, life is actually... a a series of serious thoughts and and great experiences as well intermingled. But unfortunately, our body tends to dwell, or our minds, I should say, tend to dwell on some of the deeper things. And it can be something as simple as the loss of a pet, which to me is not simple. it, It truly isn't. I lost a pet of 19 years just two weeks ago. And this when I think of him and his loss, it it immediately brings different emotions than I was thinking the moment before and the moment after. And so even simple, warm, loving thoughts can trigger, what's the word I want? Trigger definitely oh, emotive thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or stress or loss, or and all of those things are large. And we suffer those kinds of things all the time. Now, suffer is probably not with the word that we should be using for all of these, but I do think that the way we view stress, the way we look at things makes a difference. There is a very deep sense of, and I'm going to go straight to this, I think 
despair in this country. When something bad happens, we're despairing. And it takes a strong person to say, well, wait a minute, what did I learn from that? How do I feel? Ooh, I don't want to feel that way. So how can I cope with that stress? Am I making sense? You are. And the reason that we pay close attention to those stressors is that that's the way we survived along the evolutionary mm-hmm. journey. Because if, for example, just you know, just picture your ancestors 100,000 years ago mm-hmm. and early hominids in Africa, and there they are faced with a very difficult environment, or maybe Eastern, Western Europe 19,000 years ago after the last ice age, mm-hmm. and there they are, they're evolving in this atmosphere, in this environment in which there are predators, there are human bands struggling with Neanderthals for, for, mm-hmm. for scarce resources. And so your ability, the ancestors' ability to notice the bad stuff, to notice that tiger lurking in the bushes, to notice that fruit that wasn't ripe that might kill them, mm-hmm. to notice the hostile intent of a person coming toward them, that ability to get stressed and look at the environment and pick out any possible stressor was essential to our survival. Right. And so we, we our brains evolved in this environment in which if you failed to notice something pleasant. And in, in the book, I talk a lot about pleasant uh, inputs that our, our ancestors may have had, things like beautiful sunset or the, the roses or the children singing. So you miss that. You don't pay attention to that. You don't focus on that. You don't, you don't notice that. You aren't mindful of that. And nothing bad happens. But if you miss the tiger in the grass, boom, you're dead. Uh-huh. So we, we evolved, our brains evolved. It's not that we're, we're, we're weak-willed or we're, we're defective people. Uh-huh. Our brains simply have all this hardware dedicated to identifying, noticing threats, and very little hardware devoted to identifying and noticing and appreciating the good things in life. So that's why our, our brains go naturally to the bad stuff. And so it takes a real effort of retraining to start to counteract that. But you can do it. Like in, in chapter one of Mind to Matter, I give a remarkable case history of one man who went on a meditation and mindfulness journey for eight weeks. He decided that there were health benefits to this. And he was a TV reporter. So there was mm-hmm. a TV crew following him before, after, and through the eight weeks. Mm. And for the eight weeks, he went into a, a lab in a university, big university, and they took a comprehensive health history of, of all of his reaction times, his brain function. And with MRIs, they measured the volume of key regions of his brain. Okay. And after just two weeks of mindfulness, he felt better. He was less stressed. He was less reactive. He was nicer to people around him. But after eight weeks, he went back in the lab and this guy, Graham Phillips, who had been following him with TV cameras the whole eight weeks, they then had the cameras trained on the MRI and on the readouts as they came back. Mm -hmm. And the astonishing result was that the emotional regulation part of his brain in just eight weeks had grown by 22.8%. My goodness. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how quickly our brains can remodel themselves. So if you start to calm yourself and pay attention to the good and de-stress yourself and every time you are reactive, catch yourself and not give expression to those negative feelings and emotions, do that over and over and over again, you, you, your life becomes better. You're a nicer person, a more compassionate person, a more loving person. But the crucial thing is it's literally remodeling your brain and with it your body. So we, we are naturally attuned to pay attention to stress, but mm-hmm. we are able to correct those tendencies with brain retraining. 
And that neuroplasticity, the ability to retrain your brain and even create new neural pathways is lifelong. It is never too late mm-hmm. yeah. to do that. And I think one of the things, <clears throat> we're coming up on a break, so I don't want to get too started in this, but if we do, we can continue after the break. One of the things that I think is so difficult is that we went through a period of time in our country where we talked about, oh, meditation, mindfulness. Well, for some people, meditation makes them more tense, more anxious. They they, they start to focus on the negative things. But... I think we are now paying attention because the pendulum, of course, swings from time to time on the fact that if you intentionally want to change, if you intentionally take a look inside, if you intentionally say, Ugh, I'm noticing my stomach is clenching, that twitch under my eye is starting again, and my, my, my hands are itching. I'm using myself as an example. I know that that's when I need to start re-employing more coping mechanisms because thankfully I have learned them. But I think what we're talking about is something fascinating. A lot of people don't wish to be more self-aware. And when I say self-aware, I'm talking about their bodies, their minds. They're happy to think about things they want to post on Facebook, but they are, are less happy to take a look inside because sometimes... Our minds are a little messy, and working through it is not always the most pleasant thing. So I would love to talk about those complex thoughts when we come back, because by gaining some of those coping mechanisms, talking about, all right, when you clean out a closet, it gets messier before you put it back, and it gets <laughs> cleaner. Right. Um, there's room for abundance as opposed to fear in our lives. And so I, th- I think that that would be a very interesting topic because you've got the science to back all that up. So we are listening to Dr. Dawson Church with his new book, Mind to Matter. And we will continue our discussion after this very short break. Stay with us. You don't want to miss this. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. A quandary that many people find themselves in is they want to lose excess body weight, but they also want to maintain valuable muscle mass. They don't want to spend a lot of time lifting weights and working out to increase their muscle mass, only to lose it when they lose weight. We know that women, more than men, typically lose muscle and strength as they age anyway, so it's even more important for women to keep valuable muscle mass. According to a recent study, adding more protein to your diet while keeping your calories down is the best way to lose weight and keep healthy muscle. To promote a better muscle-to-fat body composition, continue to work out with weights, keep your calories low, and up your protein. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com.
welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Dr. Dawson Church. And we were talking on the break. I honestly wish you could listen to our breaks because they tend to be, <laughs> they're, they're very candid and very interesting. And so we're going to talk now about that mind-body connection, about the good news on being able to retrain the brain, become self-aware. Let's start with self-awareness can be very scary for some people. They may not really want to know what's holding them back. Or if it's painful, they may not be ready to look at that. Talk about how we can delve gently into our psyches to take a look and realize how we really do have all the tools we need. Well, often there is a model of growth, especially in Western psychology, of being positive and also of qualifying your self-acceptance. So you think, well, I'll be okay when I make more money, when I meet the love of my life, when I move to Denver, Colorado, when I blah, 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 blah. If all <laughs> these things that, I, when I lose 20 pounds. So there are all of these things that stand right. between us and happiness. And so we're used to qualifying our well-being and then say, oh, well, I should make more, $10,000 more. I should lose 20 pounds. And so we have this, this kind of tension in our psyches. But the great, uh, one of the great therapists of the 20th century, Carl Rogers, who developed a technique called client-centered therapy, said that the paradox of growth is that growth begins only when you accept yourself just the way you are. So one of the key techniques I teach in the book, and there are two I teach in Mind to Matter. One is meditation, and the second one is EFT tapping. Uh, the tapping, right. Techniques. Yeah, mm-hmm. and those two. And so every tapping round ends with the words, I deeply and completely accept myself. And it's amazing. For example, we've done clinical trials to people who needed to lose weight. And in in our trials, they needed to lose about 70 pounds. These are women who were above 200 pounds. And um, we found that they they lost the, the weight not by coercing themselves to do it. They lost the weight simply by accepting themselves to begin with just at the weight they were. And that's when they began to lose weight. So it's powerful to have wow. that self-acceptance. And and beating yourself up is really not the way to go. So you just do what you can, Linda. You just, you know, you accept yourself the way you are. If you can only, if you only want to move a little ways right now, that's totally fine. You can mm-hmm. move further later on. You know, and and I often use this term when, because our show is geared for women over forty, and. I tend to think that we've gained a lot of life experience by the time we're 40 plus and you've learned that you've weathered many things and you know from each experience, especially the adverse ones, that you did cope and you made it through and that you will make it through what comes next. And I think that sometimes we underestimate the fact that contentment, what you just described, someone who is accepting of themselves as they are is a wonderful thing because we come as we are and can we change of course we can change but we have to intentionally wish to change and that isn't always an easy thing i work with lots of people with ptsd and uh through <laughs> our nonprofit, we've now offered free eft sessions to over twenty thousand veterans and their spouses and what we found is that um we 
we just let them take it at the pace that's good for them. Also, having support from other people is really important. So um, having people around you who are supportive, there are lots of things that go into a healthy psyche and a healthy body. And uh, I, I list about 30 of these in, in Mind to Matter. Um, Self-acceptance is one of them. And there are lots of other things you can do. So I have 30 practices like meditation, like EFT, like time in nature, like yoga, like Qigong. All of these things are evidence-based meaning that there is good scientific evidence showing that they, they really do work. And now what's really amazing in my most recent work on epigenetics, we're showing that these are literally shifting people's gene expression. So in one study, for example, uh, people got an hour of EFT therapy. Mm -hmm. And after one hour, 72 genes had changed in expression, including Love genes it. that control for breast cancer, prostate cancer, uterine cancer, throat cancer, bowel cancer, all of these genes that fight those cancers were upregulated, 72 of them, in just one hour. So we're now able to see, again, that's what I mentioned earlier, we have these advanced tools that look deep into the body. We show that when we stress ourselves out with negative thinking, we're producing extremely bad effects like heightened cortisol, which leads right. to reduced muscle mass and bone density and skin elasticity, i.e. wrinkles, high cortisol stress. If you lower your stress with these 30 techniques in mind matter, you can have dramatic effects down to the level of the genome. And if we have time for, I don't know if we have time for a quick, like two minute case history here. If we do, I'll share the story. Do we? We do. Okay. So my wonderful friend Beth is coming out with a book about her story. Called me in a panic a couple of years ago and said I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And also, my gene tests show that I have eight defective genes that predispose me to breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And they found a, a large, solid tumor on top of Beth's right breast, five, two inches in, in diameter. And it also had oh spread, my. that cancer had spread underneath her, her right armpit to her lymph nodes. Lymph nodes, so the lymph glands, that's it's bad news. It starts to spread throughout, throughout the body. Mm -hmm. And then they found uh, three spots of inflammation on her right lung. So she was mm -hmm. in a panic. She'd had this gene test. And so we began to, she began to focus on what she could do to shift her energy. And she didn't do any conventional therapy. She did no chemotherapy, no radiation. She said, I'm going to see what I can do with my body by shifting only my energy, my intangible energy. So she turned off her alerts. She quit answering her emails. She quit volunteering for a lot of nonprofits that were stressing her out. She uh, cleaned up her diet. She began to exercise more. She learned qigong. She began to use energy medicine. We did some remote EFT tapping sessions with her. And she, she really applied every single kind of energy, including cleaning up her thinking, really thinking clean, and not allowing those negative thoughts to be there in her, her body. So she got the diagnosis in March. Eight weeks later, Linda, in May, she went back to the hospital, and the tumor had shrunk to less than half an inch in size. Oh, my. The lymph nodes under her right arm were completely clear, free of cancer. And later on, she had blood tests. They showed that she was completely cancer-free. So there are those stories that like that, where people use energy. And that's, that's the whole idea of mind to matter, is you apply energy, you apply consciousness, and it has mm -hmm. dramatic effects on your body. You know, it, it does. And if you think about it with less stressful things, then obviously metastatic breast cancer cancer 
you can see how it will reduce the reactivity that we seem to have in this country. We seem to be so reactive in terms of it has to happen now, it has to happen yesterday, um, why can't I make this happen? There's a lot of suppressed anger in this country. And I say that because you look at the social media, you look at our, our regular media. If we are so affected in our minds, aren't we also very much affected by what's around us? We are affected by what's around us, and if we tune into it and we make that the source of the content of our consciousness, in Mind to Matter, I talk a lot about this, is what is the source of what you're filling your mind with? Mm-hmm. And I know my wife and I, for example, we don't listen to the news. We mm-hmm. do read a, a weekly news magazines. So we know what's going on in the world. Right. But we don't tune in to those, those stories on a daily basis. And sure, those things are happening. But there's beauty and there's wisdom and yes. there's order and there's grace. There are all these wonderful things to be aware of. So if you fill your mind with that consciously, then you're choosing to have this positive content in your mind. And that's going to produce big shifts in your life. If you're tuned into the media, tuned into the news, there's just nothing there that's going to give you very much satisfaction or peace of mind. So it takes an effort, but yet it's worth unplugging from all those things and really then being proactive, you know, watching inspiring movies, listening to inspiring music, feeling, reading inspiring books, and then you get so aware of all those positive inputs that that becomes your reality field and then it becomes the field around you. So then suddenly you're in better relationships, your body's healthier, all these good things are happening because you're, you're starting with mind, starting with consciousness, and then it happens in material reality all around you, including your body. I take it one further. I think we are closely affected by the people we have around us. And sometimes we don't always have a choice. There can be a toxic person in your family. But if you mostly surround yourself with people who inflate you as opposed to deflate you, it makes a world of difference. I made a cognitive choice three years ago to, to do exactly that. And the change in the quality of life was outstanding. Yes. Absolutely. And that's one of the many choices you can make is surround yourself. I call it energy ecology. And oh, I like that. You, consciously choosing a positive energy ecology, helpful people, hopeful people. Like a few years ago, I was invited to be part of uh, a group called the the Transformational Leadership Council. It's Jack Canfield and Marcy Shymoff mm-hmm. and Marianne Williamson and Don Miguel mm-hmm. Ruiz, Don, John Gray, all these wonderful, inspiring yes. authors. And so we get together twice a year and we just immerse ourselves in each other's consciousness. It is so wonderful. But again, that 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 invitation just came out of nowhere to be part of this, this group of 100 authors who are just inspired people. And so you want to find those groups, be with those people and really tune into them. That way you're making that part of your positive energy ecology. I like that term, energy ecology, because that does make sense. It shows how things around us do affect us. And I think sometimes people only think in terms of, okay, it's my job. Uh, it's my, my son who is a recovering alcoholic, and it's so difficult on the family. It may be an illness in the family. Those are things you cannot control. But there are ways to take a look at, as you put it, the sunset grounding, putting your feet right in the grass and just taking 10 minutes to sit in the sunshine and enjoy. I think we often are moving too fast these days to recognize that that we can have 
small wins, if you will, or small joys, and those joys accumulate. That's why people journal at night into a gratitude journal. I do it. I find it very helpful because if you're thinking today was a waste, what the heck was today about? You start to write down a few things that are positive, and it's there. Yes, absolutely. And that's a choice you make. All of these things are proactive ways of savoring the good. What you then do is you start to generate positive neural plasticity. Now, many people, by paying attention to the bad and then getting angry and upset, are building those neural networks. And if you look at micro electron microscope photographs of neural networks, you see that within about five seconds of feeling a negative emotion, being angry at someone, even if it's justified, you're building more neural capacity along that neural pathway in your brain. But Mm. if you sit there and breathe and tap and meditate and then fill your mind with positivity and compassion, then you're building more neural capacity along those circuits and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like that story with Graham Phillips, who changed that part of his brain, the dentate gyrus, by 22.8% in just eight weeks. That's the kind of neural plasticity that really helps you long term. I love that, and I'm I'm going to revert to a Disney song to lead us into the next the next session. But you probably know it called "Let It Go," and you know little five year olds are singing it, and and it's very catchy. And "Let It Go," "Let It Go," and bottom line is it's not so simple to let it go. So when we come back from this break, I would love for you to give some tips or examples from your book, whichever is easiest, about how you start to make those steps because people take giant leaps and then they don't succeed. But small steps along the way towards realigning your thinking, they do work to help us let it go. Or as my four-year-old granddaughter says let it do let it do so (laughs) (laughs) we will come back in just a few see you soon we're wise health for women radio and we'll return after these short messages was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? Hogamadog. Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The largest joints in your body are your hips and knees, and they are often plagued with pain and can keep us from exercising. Millions of Americans have pain in these joints, and their pain can be short-term and injury-related, which is acute pain, or off-again, on-again pain, which is recurrent, or pain that lasts for three months or more, which is chronic. According to Harvard Medical School, 
The solution might be a set of exercises, pain relief medication, minor surgery, replacement, or some combination of these. The bottom line is, if you experience pain in any joint, get it checked out by a doctor. Don't let pain and immobility keep you from exercising. Find out what the problem is, treat it, and get right back into the exercise groove. All the benefits of daily exercise lie ahead of you. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Dr. Dawson Church. And before the break, we were talking about the Disney tune, Let It Go, which I think people want to do. But when you force it or think you only have one way of doing it and you weren't successful, sometimes people give up and say, well, I've tried and it's not working and I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, if you think you can't, you won't be able to. But if you take small steps and take small wins, they accumulate. And so Dawson, talk to us about some of the small steps to take a look at. You've you've experienced a trauma or you are trying to surmount a large hurdle or even a small hurdle. How do you help people start on their journey of self-awareness and thinking positively and most of all being kind and self-compassionate? Well, in Mind Matter, I list 30 different practices that are useful in triggering this. All of these are based in good research evidence, and we know that they work. But I don't give you 30 30 ways of doing it to suggest that you use all 30. That's overwhelming. What I recommend you do is treat that list like a buffet and experiment with ones that appeal to you, and then choose ones you like. And so what I tell people is, People often say, what's the very best method? What I say is the best method. <laughs> the one method that works for you. Right. The one that you'll use if you actually do that in your life. Right. So if you, now EFT tapping is super easy. It takes about two minutes to tap on something right. and then your stress goes away. So that, that's really no big demand. But the meditation is a bit more. I have, there are seven meditations which go along with the book and they're free. They're online. People use them. So Meditation is, is a bit more demanding in terms of time, but it's 15 minutes, not very long. Uh, other things like time in nature, sometimes you can do that. Other times it's harder. Grounding is something virtually anyone can do. So grounding. what I recommend people do is do something that fits their lifestyle, mm-hmm. but experiment with different ones and then actually have a routine of doing those things. One of the great benefits, though, of doing these is that when you hit the one that really is right for you, Linda, you can feel it in your body and your mind. So, for example, there are hormones like anandamide, the bliss, the bliss molecule, uh, oxytocin, the, 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 the bonding hormone, um, serotonin, dopamine. There are all kinds of neurochemicals that start to kick in to where you want to do these things because they feel good. It feels much better to start your day after that 15 minutes of meditation that then feels to start your day by looking at your messages on your, your oh, wireless device. Isn't That's that just true? The way you want to condition yourself. So you're making these conscious choices. So start with those small things, but don't just think, well, what a great show. I love the information. And then forget all about this. You've got to do those things. So I give you 30. So you have a big buffet to choose from. Mm-hmm. And then pick 
just one, and then let that, that one. Then maybe a month later, two months later, implement something else. But start with some, something simple, because again, you'll feel so much better. You'll affect your health, your energy levels will rise, your vitality will increase. They also increase intelligence. So in one set of studies I'm looking at right now, if you can induce that flow state, research shows that your productivity can increase by up to 500%. And your problem-solving ability, your, your ability to actually cognitively solve big, thorny problems in your life goes up by 460%. So oh, now you're goodness. much wiser. Talk about wise women. Now yeah, you're that's exactly right. I'm liking this. And you have leverage over all these problems in your life. So start small, but start somewhere. Well, that's very, very good advice. And, and the things that are easy to do are also just as easy not to do. So we know that building new habits takes time. I've heard a minimum of 21 days. And then sometimes you fall away from it because you start to feel better. But if we do find something that works for us, and it can be super simple, uh, it can be spending time with a pet, it can be taking your bare toes into the grass as spring comes, it can be very, very different. It can be looking at music and uh, water and sunsets and tapping as you said meditation it can just be quiet time i think sometimes in this world we don't take time to be still yes just sitting there staring open to the the distance doing nothing uh, that's something we rarely give ourselves a chance to do we try and fill our lives with media with people with conversations with emails and to just take that time to really be with yourself by yourself for yourself mm -hmm. is a powerful statement of self-care and self-care no longer gets that eye roll that it did maybe six or seven years ago self-care was then thought to be selfish the far, it couldn't be further from the truth because self-care makes you you mentioned it earlier it makes you more contented, which is not a word you hear much in our society. You hear happy, but I'm always seeking contentment because that means I'm nicer to be around. It can be contagious, and you really do treat people with more gentleness, less judgment, and you're calmer. You, you lose the drama the high and the low. Some people thrive on drama. They, they live in their chaos. They love it, and they love sowing chaos in others. Those are the people I would suggest that you maybe distance yourself from or set better boundaries. In terms of this, do you have anything in the book that talks about setting boundaries on what's right for you even if others don't think it is? Yeah, and that's a very individual thing, and it's also actually more important for women, because women historically have uh, been the caretakers for other people, and often they are at the bottom of the list. In our live workshops, we do many live workshops every, every year, and we find that when we test people on self-care, that they're, often women are really low on the scale at taking care of themselves. So they're great at giving care to others, and they're often very poor at taking care of their own needs and giving themselves time and space. And they feel almost guilty sometimes for carving mm -hmm. out that time and space for self. So it is incredibly vital to do this and have a routine for doing it. Like a simple act, for example, we recommend people write down that self-care time in their calendar and mm -hmm. treat it as as seriously as an appointment with the dentist or the doctor. So once you've written down this weekend, 
I'm just going to garden, or I'm going to go away in nature and take walks on the beach both days of the weekend. When you do that and put it on your calendar, it's a sacred commitment to yourself. So it's important mm-hmm. to find ways of making self-care prominent. People, that also brings up so much often guilt and mm-hmm. ambivalence in women. And so we really encourage them to claim their right to self-care and self-love and practices and time for themselves in that way. Because if you you don't do that, no one's going to do it for you. And it's important to to assert your right to being cared for by yourself just the way you care for everyone around you. And with 64 million family caregivers in the United States alone and and 5.5 million military caregivers, what you're talking about is something that I work with daily, and it is very hard. And, and like I said, I used to get eye rolls uh, seven, eight years ago. That no longer is the case because we know we cannot give from an empty cup any longer. And we also know that we will become sick. So when those who take care of others become sick, the whole world falls apart because the caregivers tend to be the glue in the family. And that's a lot of pressure. And when you can share that and and know that time for yourself is truly more than sitting in the car in the driveway, (laughs) I'm not making this up, with the music on, you're still getting texted, but you've silenced your phone, sometimes that's the best you can do in certain situations. But it shows the emerging acknowledgement that healthy people help other healthy people. I want you to delve into the mind mind and matter, mind to matter, with the fact that wounded people wound others. I want you Thank to look you. at that dark side a little bit, because I think that's something people do not realize. They wound others, and they wound others down the generations. For example, genetic tests show that the daughters of depressed mothers have epigenetic tags on their genes that are characteristic of depression. Not only that, but the granddaughters of those depressed people uh, have the same epigenetic tags. So our yes. moods are contagious. And in the book, there's a whole chapter on emotional contagion and about how emotions are as contagious as the flu. And yes. this is both positive and negative emotional contagion. But if you're around a person who is depressing or who is angry or is upset or has a negative emotional tone, then gradually that's going to affect you no matter how strong you are. So you want to make sure you you set up your life to let those people go and give yourself a big open space for positive emotional contagion. I I train people in my workshops. I say to them at the end, you're now going out from this workshop as an agent of positive emotional contagion. You're going to make everyone around you feel better by what you say and what you do and who you are. And so that's how we can train ourselves to be. And we then then naturally seek other people like that. And we then reinforce those behaviors in each other. And we have a much, much better life as a result, Linda. So yeah, there are, are issues. There are problems we all have to deal with. But then in the areas of your life where you do have power, you do have authority, you can make your own choices, make healthy ones. Don't feel you have to be just doing the same thing that your mother or your grandmother did. You can make different choices, you can parent differently, you can reparent yourself, you can shift the energy toward people around you. And by doing that, you produce positive emotional contagion, which boomerangs right back to fill your own life with more positivity, creativity, and that contentment you spoke of earlier. So these proactive ways of doing that are able to set up an entirely different life for you, you long-term, and the results show up in your long-term health. Optimists live, on average, 
eight years longer than pessimists as a result of these small daily choices. I, but see, these are things that I, 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 I'm hoping to impress upon our listeners. Think about this. You will live longer if you are happier, more positive, if you have coping mechanisms that you use on a regular basis, that you monitor your self-awareness to know where you are on the continuum. And nobody's ever happy all the time. But if we seek satisfaction, contentment, productivity, helping others, gratitude, all of those things can truly create a better way. Because as you said, there is genetic emotional contagion as well. And we need to break those cycles because they can be so detrimental. And you know people. You know people who you say, I, I don't really enjoy being around them because they kvetch at one another or they're mean to their pets and children, which is always a red flag for me. But it's, <laughs> I think it is very important that we know that there are health benefits that will manifest themselves and, and give us a better quality of life, which is, of course, what we're seeking. And then we attract others who are the same way. And then you have surrounded yourself with people who have a like-minded intention. And life is about intentional choices. And when we make them, we are wiser, we are stronger, and it makes good sense. So we will go on our final break of the show, and we'll be back with Dr. Dawson Church talking more. Don't go away. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. a recording of our own voice, it always sounds different than we think. This is because the bones in our skull create a resonance from within that makes our voice sound deeper to us. But our recorded voice is how others hear us. I'm sure I'm not the first person who has uttered the words, I really don't sound like that. Do I? Margaret Thatcher famously underwent vocal training to lower her voice and make her sound more statesmanlike. Recently, British Airways polled Americans and Britons to see who they believed had the sexiest voices. Morgan Freeman was voted number one. If a judge loves the sound of his own voice, expect a long sentence. What's a word for a person who loves to hear the sound of their own voice? A philodox. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Resistance bands come in different colors and varying tensions. I like working out with resistance bands because they are so versatile and lightweight, and I keep them in my car, closet, and suitcase. You can train every major muscle group and get a fabulous strength workout without weights. They also allow you to do some Pilates moves that strengthen your core. I especially like to use them for stretching. Hooking them around the center of your foot while keeping your legs straight gives you an added stretch that you could not do without some resistance. You can buy inexpensive resistance bands at sporting goods stores and most stores that carry fitness products. Be sure to purchase bands that come with instructions and an easy workout to follow. You can also get instructions on the internet. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. 
Welcome back. I wanted to give you a website to follow along if you're near a computer at this point or your phone or whatever it may be. And you can find out more information with a, a lot of the other material that Dawson has been talking about at mindtomatter.club. That last part is mindtomatter.club, C-L-U-B. And you'll, you'll find a lot of extra information there that goes into more detail than we're able to put into an hour. But we would like to now take this last section and talk about how energy fields shape matter in the earth. We, with our minds, can actually affect the earth. Talk about this. It is absolutely astonishing, Linda. And uh, in fact, when I was writing the book Mind to Matter, the publisher changed the subtitle from The Surprising Science of How Our Brains Create Material Reality to The Astonishing Science, because the science is just absolutely amazing. So here, one of the things that intrigues me is, again, how we affect molecules outside of our bodies. And there's lots of experimental evidence for this. And one of the most interesting series of experiments to me was done on water. And What researchers measured was they measured the bond between the two hydrogen atoms of H2O and the oxygen atom. And this bond has been known for a century in chemistry, and the degree that angle of that molecular bond is 104 degrees. But once a healer has blessed that water, once a person who is a meditator has put the intention of healing into the water, that bonding angle changes. So it literally shifts the bonding angle of water. Not only that, there are Qigong masters, for example, and these Qigong masters, they've had them bless water at a distance of about three feet, then 10 feet, then 100 feet, then 1,000 miles, and the effect does not drop off over time or space. So it's interesting that we can literally, with a disciplined mind, can't make these changes in, in water. Also in DNA, there are studies showing that people who are in a meditative state, in a coherent state, and again, I need to stress that coherence because if we are not in coherence, if we're in brain incoherence, if you have an EEG and your brain is incoherent, then you're, you can't do much of anything in terms of attention. But if your brain is coherent, then you can. So that's the crucial difference. And then we've shown in research that people literally projecting attention into the DNA molecule can change it over distances. And so suddenly we start to have good explanations for these distant effects like healing across continents where I'm having an intention of someone else healing and they're in England and Mm -hmm. and they heal. So um, there is a lot of really fascinating evidence now that human intention, human consciousness literally affects molecules in the world around you. And you wonder how some people are just great manifestors. They just have an intention and it just happens. Well, when we hook those people up to an EEG, we see that their brains are highly coherent. And the uh, analogy I use in Mind to Matter is light. If you take uh, like a 60-watt light bulb, that's mm-hmm. non-coherent light, plug it in, turn it on, you can light up a room. Non-coherent light works. But if you take that same 60 watts, watts of light and make it coherent in a laser, that's ordered light, coherent okay. light, it'll cut through steel. So that's the difference between the ineffective intender and the effective intender. You want to have that mental discipline. And that happens in meditation. We find that when people meditate, their brainwaves come into coherence, their intentions then are effective. And so it's not just having the intention, it's having the intention 
with that coherent mind that we're now showing experimentally produces all these changes in electromagnetism, in gravity, in the nuclear forces, all of these fundamental forces of the universe literally are shifted by changes in human consciousness. You know, I'm not surprised. I have read studies, I'm sure you have too, medical journals, where they had, and we'll use prayer in terms of intentional thoughts at this point, where they had two control groups of, of people who, some who prayed for people, they didn't know them, didn't know them at all, they did not know they were being prayed over. So intentional thought given to this one health group and a control group of nothing being done additionally for them. And they could not understand the explanation that these people got better, even though no one knew that they were having intentional thought towards them in a positive, coherent manner. And the people doing it did not know them. Is that so, an example of what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so you are affecting other people. You're affecting what I call the psychosphere of the planet. You're affecting okay. distant ones you, you love. So, for example, in the meditation technique I, I teach, I teach people a really super simple meditation technique. Meditation is very difficult for most people, but we've now developed a really simple way of meditating that is, is easy to do without quieting your mind, without trying to believe in anything. You just do a certain set of postures, breathe a certain way, and then you are able to enter these coherent states. In those states, when you feel a connection with other people, suddenly all kinds of amazing things start to happen in your own brain, in your own body, and in your own physical cells. And so uh, when you do this, when you have these, these, these intentions of kindness, of compassion to others, mm -hmm. it produces huge health benefits for you. And so that's why I recommend those two practices, the, the two fundamental things. I, you know, I say there are 30 of them. Uh, play around, find ones that work for you. But the two I recommend for everyone are one meditation and number two, EFT tapping, because again, that shows that it's turning, literally turning on all of these positive genes in your cells. So the health benefits are there, the emotional benefits are there, the longevity benefits are absolutely huge it's amazing to me that it has longevity benefits i suppose it makes sense because the people that live the longest are often the ones that have the most cogent social life they have interactions with others they like other people um, <laughs> well, well no i'm serious I, you know there's a big difference between like and love sometimes love is obligatory but liking people means you want to be around them but what they call the blue zones, where people do live the longest, social interactions, uh, as well as obviously nutrition and how they uh, exercise, etc., are all very much part of the longevity piece. But I, I guess I hadn't really connected the fact that the uh, intentions of kindness and compassion can also affect the longevity. But of course it makes sense. Yeah, that's right. And that longevity is the accumulation of many small acts of choice. Many small acts of how you speak to other people, how you think about yourself, how you relate to other people, kindness, compassion, appreciation for beauty, time for yourself. All of these things, are, they're small, they're daily acts, and then over time they become your, your life. And I quoted that, that figure, that study showing that optimists live on average eight years longer than pessimists. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a huge toll you're going to pay long term for that pessimistic thinking. It's turning up, dining up your cortisol, dining up your adrenaline, dining down your DHEA, which is your most 
your, your, your single most important euthanine hormone. Mm -hmm. All of these effects occur, and they occur in seconds based on, on your thoughts. So that's why these kinds of practices I'm recommending aren't just going to make you feel better, though they do do that. They're over time that, that, that those million instants become how long you live, how good you feel, and the quality of life that you enjoy. I love that. Talk a little bit about the fact that we are often kind to others, but much less kind to ourselves. Yeah, and we actually test this with people in our live workshops. We actually have a test we give them, and it looks at their uh, their answers and their, their worldview in five domains, one of which is love. And often they're great at giving love to other people, and they're very poor at accepting love for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we train them to love themselves. And, you know, if there's one thing that will move the needle in all of these practices, Linda, it's self-love. If you love yourself, you're going to eat well. You're going to take care of your body. If you love yourself, you're going to be kind to yourself and then by extension to others. Like I, you know, my, I met my wife 10 years ago and my, my teenage daughter, teenage, teenager back then, and she said, watching you and Christine together, Dad, is like watching two people having a niceness contest. Um, like competing to see who can be, be nice, nicer to each other. I mean, we weren't doing that, of course, but she was just jokingly referring to the fact that we, we just are basically fundamentally good to each other. And so you, you do all of these things. And then I, I realize when I'm kind to my wife, it's not for her sake. It's that I'm, it's an extension, a projection of being kind, being kind to myself. And so mm -hmm. all of these ways of taking care of ourselves then wind up really shifting our, our lives. So that's the fundamental thing I so urge to people is love yourself, be kind to yourself, accept yourself, just give yourself that space of acceptance and appreciation, because that, again, is the starting point, the leverage point for all the growth that comes after that. But you just gave the most wonderful example of how you just affected a generation, your daughters, positively, and how when people like each other and it shows, or a niceness contest, as she put it, it, it's, it has far-reaching consequences. You're modeling the behavior that we wish we could have. I have a wonderful neighbor, and we have quite differing views on some of the hot topics of the day. But we can talk about any of them because they are, there is respect and civility between us, and we appreciate each other's viewpoint. If more people could do that, we would see a lot less drama. I'll call it hate for lack of a better word, because there's such anger in the world today. And if we could reduce this anger through some of these techniques, if we understood we could live longer, if we were nicer to one another and to ourselves, I think whatever your motivator is, do you want to live longer? Do you want to be healthier? Do you want to be more contented? Do you want to have great relationships? You bring to mind an awful lot of good. So I want to make sure our listeners know where to go, mindtomatter.club. And if there's anything else you'd like to add, you have about 90 seconds to do so. <laughs> yeah, so um, what I recommend people do in the book is that, for, for example, there are 
deepening practices at the end of each chapter. And so use those practices. And so I, I show you how to apply the ideas of mind to matter. The first part of the book is all about how when you apply these practices, they shift molecules inside your body. The second half of the book is how they shift molecules outside of your body. If you'd like to be that kind of a person who has that superpower to literally turn genes on and off in your body, you are. You're doing that every moment. Do it mm. consciously and do it in a way that supports your health. So there are these 30 concrete practices there. And as you use those, as you apply those, as you put those into practice in your life, you can literally feel that you are, your, your physical sensation of, of well-being rises dramatically. You develop emotional contagion with everyone else around you, and you have a much better, much healthier, much happier, and higher quality of life. So that's, I care about people. That's why I'm so passionate about this, Linda. And <laughs> I just love seeing people apply these things and experience those shifts. I do as well. And I think what you've shared today is immediately practicable. It can be used. So again, more information, go to mindtomatter.club. And thank you to you, Dawson, for sharing all this with us. We'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.